This morning, I get the immense privilege of, of preaching the gospel. Um, you know, actually, every, every week when we preach, we preach the gospel. Because if we're not preaching the gospel, we're not really preaching. We're not really pointing you to Jesus. We're just giving you some self-help. So if you ever hear a sermon that doesn't point you to Jesus as the Savior, you're in oh, the wrong building. Because I fundamentally, and I use that word knowing some of the connotations, believe in Jesus' power and authority over all things. And, you know, we live in a world that is in absolute chaos, isn't it? Like, I, I know some of you will experience some of those things firsthand, some of the, the depth of depravity that you and I wouldn't necessarily get to see. I, you know, my, my brother... Um, is in, it would be involved in some of those things, not in the depravity, but in dealing with some of those issues. Fight on the front line. We are in the middle of a, a fuel crisis that is sparked. You might have old ideas about that, but what does it show about the issues of the human heart? I mean, people queuing for, I don't know how long, to get a tank of fuel to top up with five pounds when you've got NHS workers and other people in desperate need of fuel to get to work that would actually benefit them in the long run. So you get what I'm trying to say is that actually we live in a world that is captivated by selfishness and self-preservation and self-salvation. We try to do all sorts to save ourselves from ourselves because we, if we really stop and pause for a moment, we realize that all is not well with our soul. Would you, uh, please, you can agree with me or disagree with me, it's fine, I'm going to keep preaching anyway. Actually, our, um, like the people we come into contact with every single day, every single week, every single year, who um, outside of this context, and maybe even in this context, we understand that the stuff in their lives that they're trying to find a solution for, and they have no hope other than the hope that you and I carry, if indeed we're followers of Jesus, that he is the hope of the world. And that all that people are looking for is found in Jesus, if only they'll look to Jesus and not to other things, or indeed, the most dangerous place of all, themselves or even within themselves. I mean, what kind of, what kind of salvation is that? But why do we need saving? Why, have you ever stopped to think about that? What, when we're trying to communicate to people the need for salvation, have you ever thought Why? Where does, it, where does that even begin? Where does that originate? What is the, even the concept of salvation for? And why is it indeed necessary? Well, it has to be set within the context of God's big story. Because if we don't understand God's big story and, and his world, the, the worldview that he's created, the world that he created and who he is, then salvation makes no sense at all. Because what do we need saved from? So from Genesis to Revelation, it, ta- it paints the picture of God's story. We've got creation, Genesis 1 and 2. For some of you, this will not be new. So for some of you, it might, in terms of how, how this story is framed, creation, Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created. And then we go into Genesis 3, and chaos ensues. Because... Uh, Adam and Eve, whatever you think about that whole narrative, we can just go, let's just run with it. It's telling this story. 
that there was a rebellion against the creator, a rebellion against the king, a rebellion against the one who made them and purposed them for life and good things. All the way through Genesis 1 and 2, it is good, God says. All the way through. So Genesis 1 and 2 are the, uh, and Revelation 21 and 22 are the only chapters in the Bible where we don't see sin, the consequences of sin, or the outworking of sin. It was good. Humanity made for perfect relationship with the Creator. See, there's a problem that happens when the, creati- the creation starts to think they're above the Creator. Now, I'm sure there's some films that have been made about that. And what kind of chaos happens and ensues when that takes place? And so from Genesis, we go into this, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, we get into the rebellion period, this Genesis chapter 3. And then the promise begins to unfold as, as Abraham steps onto the scene and, and God's working out his story in his people, in his world, above all, all things, not just some things, he's working out his purposes. And we see this promise lived out through people. The promise of what? that what people were experiencing and seeing and understanding, the sin, the consequences of sin would one day find reconciliation in the promised one. The one who was spoken of and his name is Jesus. He is the promise. And so when we read in 1 Peter, as we're in 1 Peter, so I'm not just like randomly preaching the gospel, this is what it says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. So in this period of time, in the promised period of time, there's prophets who were, who were anticipating a savior, a messiah, somebody who would come and, and, and sort it all out, would bring peace. They're anticipating it and they inquire of God. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. I mean, we, we, could spend, we can spend a while just unpacking that, but I want to preach the gospel to you. And we're going to find it in a moment in these verses. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit um, sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Have you ever ever read that before and gone, what's that all about? Actually, it's God teaching and educating the angels in heaven about the church and his purposes and his plans for the future and that which is to come. I find it fascinating that the heavenly beings are going, oh! God, you're amazing. Look at what you're doing through that group of people who were lost. Wow, God, you're incredible. And they sing their hearts out in praise and adoration. The one who reigns over all and choosing people like you and I to participate in his story, to tell of his salvation. I think it's incredible. Sorry if I get a little bit excited. Kind of in danger of getting a little bit Pentecostal this morning. This gospel that was preached. Now, Peter um, didn't plant these churches. But there was clearly throughout the early church a gospel that was proclaimed. 
that there was no deviation from the gospel message, the gospel truth. It wasn't, oh, over in, over in Greece, you know, you could preach what you like, but over in here, in, in, the, in the middle, in the other parts of the Middle East, well, well, you just preach whatever you think is right. No, the gospel is the gospel, the world over, culture over, this is it. There is one gospel, and it's the one gospel that we preach. And I'm unapologetically passionate about the gospel because it points away from us and to the one who reigns over all, the one who gave his life for us. And his name is Jesus. And this is the gospel that Peter, Paul, the other apostles proclaimed and taught. Now, it's really interesting because Peter and, and Mark's gospel uh, Peter and Mark, the author of Mark's Gospel, were, were friends. And uh, actually, people say that Peter used a lot of Mark's material to write his, his stuff. And so we're going to dip in and out of, of Mark's Gospel because Mark helps us to understand the Gospel. It was the first one that was, account that was written, and he paints this picture of what the Gospel message is. Now, have you ever been in a conversation where somebody tell, asks you what the Gospel is? I'm seeing a couple of nods. If not, maybe we need to get out more. (laughs) And maybe we need to have some conversations with people who don't yet know Jesus. Not because I think we need to preach at them like the seven things that I'm going to tell you that the gospel is. Because that that doesn't work. I want you to understand something. The gospel is to be proclaimed. It has to be proclaimed. It's a message that is spoken and it's a message that is lived. Jesus declared the gospel to people who came to hear him, not enforcing it on people who didn't want to hear. So the crowds flocked to Jesus because they wanted to hear what he had to say. So, prime audience, you've come to listen. I'm going to tell you, this is it. You want to know what life is? You want to know what the gospel is? You want to know what truth is? You want to know what the kingdom of God is? I am going to tell you. But he didn't force it on people who didn't want to hear. So in our proclamation, let's really be sensitive about the people before us. Because there are people who are really open to hear the gospel. Like, go for it. Don't hold back. But let's be really clear on the gospel that we're preaching. Because it's not your version of the gospel. And it's not my version of the gospel. It's the gospel that is proclaimed in and through the scriptures. In Jesus. Are you ready then? Sorry, you look stunned. <laughs> but this, this, is the, this is the gospel. So would you turn with me to Mark chapter 1. You should see what I'm like when I haven't got a cold. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Okay. So I'm going to read from verse 14, actually. Um, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news. So the first thing you really need to understand about what I'm about to say is at some point it's going to feel like bad news, but actually it's really good news. There's going to be some points you're going to go, oh, I don't really like that. Can we really say that in today's world? Um, No, we, we can, but let me tell you that this is good news. What Jesus proclaimed and who Jesus is, is good news. It's good news to you. It's good news to me. It was good news to them then, and it's good news to the world that is right outside of those doors. This is great news. In a petrol shortage, in world wars, in chaos, 
it is really good news. Do you know what? Um, Jesus will come back one day. And this is why it's really good news. Because we live in a tension between the now and the not yet. And Jesus said this in proclaiming the good news. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now we'll get on to the repent and believe the good news in a minute. But I want to pick up on this idea of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come near. So the first thing we need to understand about the gospel message is it's a kingdom. There's a kingdom involved. All right, at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, what was God doing? He was establishing his rule and reign over not just some things, all things. All things. So God, in the beginning, he's the creator, he's the sustainer, the ruler, and the reigner of all, over all things. Now, we know from John's gospel that Jesus was with God in the beginning because he is God. And he's the one who spoke all things and all things came into being. So this Jesus now that we're declaring the gospel has always been. And he holds all things together. So when he says the kingdom of God has come near, is he saying that everything now is under the rule and reign of, God, of, of God's kingdom? Well, yes, yes and no, but we live in this now and the not yet because actually there are people who are opposed to God and his rule and his reign. So in the beginning it was perfect, Genesis 3 is messed up, and so God's rule and reign is wherever Jesus is present. His kingdom is coming, his kingdom is advancing, it's wherever his reign is established. So the beautiful thing is that actually we can proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, if indeed we are under his authority. So in this place, the church isn't the kingdom, by the way. The kingdom has a church. There is a difference. You see, the the church is God's God's representation. It's his body on earth. It's his means of of displaying his glory. But his kingdom, his reign is is, is, is beyond our comprehension. Things seen and unseen come under his reign and authority. His kingdom shall know no end, no boundary. His kingdom is firmly established because he is king. And so you and I, as you walk, how long have I got this morning, John? Because I'm on point one. Um, you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, when we step into our workplaces, you and I, ambassadors of the kingdom and the kingdom of God can advance because you and I are carriers of the kingdom why because we live under the authority of Jesus who is king which is my second point turn with me to Mark chapter 8 please this is a magnificent declaration um, by by Peter and to be honest I'm not even sure Peter fully gets it at this moment in time I'm not even sure he's he's fully aware of what he's saying, but there's something happening in Peter's life that he's beginning to become aware that Jesus is not just um, a great rabbi and not just a good teacher, not just a healer. Um, You know, he's got the indications of that prior to this, but there's something in this moment that begins to shift in the disciples. It's gone from this information process to this process now of equipping the disciples. This is a changing moment in the life of the disciples. This is what Peter says. 
Jesus went out with the disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, they answered, uh, John, uh, John the Baptist, uh, others Elijah, others still one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You remember the one that was prophesied of, the one that was spoken of, the one that was in anticipated coming, even if they didn't fully understand it back in the, in the days of the promise? Now, this revelation of, for Peter, you are the Messiah? Now, Peter would get, continue to get it wrong as to what that would look like because, well, he was human. But there was in this moment a shift in thinking and understanding that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher but the expected one, the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one. He strictly warned them not to tell anyone about him, which, again, is fascinating. We haven't got time to go into that. Uh, Then he began to teach them, saying that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and rise um, after three days. Now, remember, um, we just read in Peter, the sufferings that would come and the glories that would follow. Here's this prophecy of that which would be true. Now, the apostles and the pro- uh, that were speaking and writing and preaching the gospel knew that this was true because they'd experienced it was true. So in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul writes this, the gospel is defined, uh, Christ crucified, raised, to, to life, and he's saying this is the imperative. We'll read it in a moment. But he's saying these are the go- this is the gospel message. This is the reality of it because they've experienced it. And in that account, he says, well, he appeared to the 12, and then he appeared to 500 all at once. Why 500 all at once? Because they couldn't blame the latest ecstasy, ecstasy pill on like, lots of little different individual hallucinations. Like to 500 people all at once, Jesus, bang, in the room. Now, you've got witnesses of 500 people. That's pretty compelling evidence. I reckon if you, in a court of law, if you had 500 witnesses giving exact testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, that would be compelling evidence. So this resurrection happened. This resurrection can 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 be proved and can be trusted. Jesus is alive. And he's king. So this, I, this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, he is king. Now, why can I say that? Well, in afterwards, read Colossians chapter 1. Read Colossians chapter 1 and get this understanding of who Jesus is. He is supreme over all things. Now, as far as I understand, when a king is a king, and they are, they are, they are, they, they are the ultimate authority, they are superior over everything. What the king says, what the king edicts, happens. Some nations of the world are still led by a king. I can think of Eswatini, like this um, authoritative rule. The king says it, it happens. We live in a democracy, so we're not too familiar. We, we kind of think our queen is just, you know, ceremonial. And in some respects, that might be true. But there's still some authority. Still some clout. We still listen to the queen. When the queen speaks... How many people tune in on Christmas Day to hear her speak? Millions of people. Why? Because there's still that sense of the queen is speaking. 
So the gospel message that Jesus is king is really, really important because he isn't just a king above many kings. He's not just like, oh, well, we're going to take this king over here or we're not going to like. If he's king, he's king of everything. Actually, the scriptures declare he's the king of kings and the lord of lords and there is nobody like him. So if if we have got other kings, he's like, he's the supremo. He tells the other kings what to do because he's the ultimate authority. So when we come into the kingdom life, we come under his authority. So the two really important things about the gospel is there is a kingdom and there's a king. And in our world, we don't, we don't like that, do we? We, we, do, uh, uh, we don't like it because we don't really like being told what to do, do we? Or is, is, it really, is that just me that struggles with that sense of, listening and obeying because there's something in us that wants to rule our own lives we want to make our own decisions and the beauty of 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 walking with Jesus is he doesn't he doesn't remove our brain when we come into relationship with him he actually does give it there's freedom there's a, a capacity to think and dream and imagine and create because he's called us to participate with him so it's not like you do this this and this like some robot but actually it's a recognition of authority, that what I do, I do under the authority of the king. And what I do under the authority of the king has an impact on how people see that king. So it's not like just a list of do's and don'ts, it's actually about representation. If I'm going to say I'm a follower of Christ, what are people seeing? That's the big issue. So we have the kingdom, we have the king, we have uh, the third thing that is really important these are like the declarative statements of the gospel kingdom king died for our sin we all want the nice stuff the good things of the kingdom but we can't do it without acknowledging our part in Jesus' death and our rebellion against the king now we don't we're not sinners because we sin Because if that was the case, then I could simply try and stop sinning and therefore I would be good enough to enter heaven. So I'm aware, oh, yeah, well, I'll stop doing that and therefore that will make me good enough. No, we sin because positionally we're sinners. So in Colossians chapter 1, and I think it's verse 14, 13 or 14, it talks about being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So it's a positional thing. Sin is not about what you do. It's about a position that because of that rebellion in Genesis 3, we are excluded from the life of God and his kingdom. And the only way that we can get back, get into that relationship, be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, is Jesus, the king, who, point number four, rose again on the third day. He conquered sin and death, rose victorious over those things, creating a way, the only way through which we can experience life and life in all its fullness. Transferring us from darkness to light. It's a positional change. Now you and I both know that when our position changes, it doesn't mean all of a sudden that everything is all, all, all nice and rosy and we are complete examples uh, and, and, and glorious examples for Christ. Uh, Lorraine shared a word with me a little moment ago about this um, uh, new birth. <laughs> we all love the baby when they're clean, but the new birth bit is really messy. Really messy. It's, in fact, 
It's gross. But out of that comes something really beautiful. So we are transferred from one place to another through a new birth. John 3, 16, one of the best known verses in, in, in the world, I think. Put your trust in Jesus, believe in him. You have a new life, new birth. So it comes through this faith, this recognition that Jesus, there's a kingdom and there's a king and he died for our sin and actually in confessing our sin, our positional sin, we, come into, we can come into relationship with God through his, his resurrection. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, we have absolutely no hope. There is no gospel. So when you're talking to people about the gospel, don't, don't skip out the need for sin, but don't miss out completely the resurrection. Because it's the resurrection that's the game changer. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. So let me, um, let me read 1 Corinthians 15. I hope you've got plenty of parking this morning um, on, on your clock because... So Paul writes this. Uh, now, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, uh, which you received, on which you, were take, which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. Okay, so the, interesting. There's this salvation moment that happens when we put our trust in Jesus, and then we continue to be, we continue to be saved, working out our salvation. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, if you hold to the message I preach to you, hold on to the truth. Paul is saying, unless you believed in vain, it's a challenge, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. This is the most important thing that we can ever grapple with, point of theology, point of understanding, point of application that we can ever get, is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, the prophets who told of old, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So confirming what was prophesied and what was spoken is that this Messiah would rise again, rise again, having suffered, rise in glory. This is beautiful because we don't serve a defeated savior. We serve a resurrected king who ascended to the right hand of the father and now rules and reigns with all authority. The seen and the unseen realms Every demon bows its knee at Jesus and has to flee because he has ultimate authority. This is really, really important because we are, we, we, if we don't get that Jesus is king and he's Lord of everything, we're just playing a game. He rose again, victorious, according to the scriptures. And that's where it goes on to tell you about the appearance to many. So faith. What's the part of faith? Well, actually, in the de declaration of the gospel, there's a call to believe, to put trust, to put faith in Jesus as the Savior, the Redeemer, the one who brings you back into his story to understand his good purposes, to understand that you were made for more than just mere survival. You were made to thrive and to fullness of life and to enjoy life in relationship with him and others and his creation. 
to be participants in the reconciliation of not just some things, but all things. The gospel is so much bigger than you. This gospel is so much bigger than me. The gospel invites us into God's story to work with him and walk with him so that all things are reconciled to him. All things. Now, we can think, how's that going to happen this side of eternity? Well, actually, it will only happen fully when Jesus returns. And that's why it's important that we understand that he's alive because one day he will come back to establish for one, one, one day his rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever in a new heaven and a new earth. Genesis, uh, Revelation 21. And it was spoken of in Isaiah 65. New heaven, new earth. One day, there'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more, um, no more affliction or, or, or anything and trials, the stuff that John spoke of last week. There'll be no more because we'll, we'll, we will be with him and we'll be like him. <laughs> Just... Just let that sink in for a moment. You might have some struggles in this life. You might think, oh, I wish I was this and I wish it was that. I wish I could resolve this and I wish I could resolve that. One day in Christ Jesus, all those things will be done away with and you and I will be like him. In it's just magnificent, isn't it? When you think about this Jesus that is portrayed in the Gospels, the one that was spoken of by the prophets, the one who rules and reigns over all things, the one who's absolutely perfect, loving, kind, generous, gentle, merciful, good in all his ways. We're going to be like him. The challenge is let's be a little bit like him now. Not just a little bit, but in increasing measure. Because I think that's when, the, the author, when we come under the authority of the king, it begins to work out in our lives and you know, we, we Christians don't have the monopoly on kindness. But we should be the most kind, generous, forgiving, loving people on planet Earth. It doesn't mean to say that we don't point out sin. Because the most loving thing that we can do in relationship, when people want to hear, when people are ready to receive the gospel, say, actually, this is the reality of your position. You're over here. You don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. You're a sinner because you're positionally outside of relationship with God. So let's get right with God and get back into relationship with him. That's the good news. That's what we proclaim. So we can't sugarcoat it. But let's be kind, let's be generous, let's focus on the key issues that aren't the things that you think they are. It's about the person's position in Christ Jesus that's isolated or is in relationship. That's the key issue. That's the key issue. All the other stuff, let the Holy Spirit in conversation and discipleship work out as people align their lives to the King. That's really, really important. Doesn't mean to say we don't ever challenge issues, but... Help people to understand that if Jesus is king, then their response is not to what you or I tell them, it's to what Jesus tells them is the way to walk with him. And our responsibility as disciple makers is to help people move from a position of unbelief to belief. Never to force anybody. Never to force anybody. But to live such a compelling life that people go, I want what you've got. I want it because there's joy and life and peace coming and emanating out of you. And I want that. What is it about you? What is it? Why do you live your life the way that you live it? Why are you not bothered about the petrol crisis? Well, I've got Zoom. I can do my work from home. 
I'm not going to get caught up with all of that kind of panic. Now, I realize that that's not true for everybody. Please, and I'm not trivial. But do you get what I'm trying to say? There's something about our heart response and the way that we react to things that gives a clear message that we're under a different authority. Okay, they're the four declarations of the gospel. Are you ready for some more? You all look a bit shell-shocked. I'm really sorry. Um, Four things of the gospel, three imperative statements that we find in these words in Mark chapter 8. Repent, which means a change of mind. Which means to go, oh, hang on, I've been thinking wrongly about something. I've, I've, I've had a, an idea or perception about something that just is not, not true or accurate. So I'm, gonna cha- I'm changing my mind because I've come to realize that Jesus is king. He died for my sin and he rose again so that I might have new life. Oh, okay. I realize that I've been trying to save myself through addiction, through porn, through um, marriage, through relationships, through workaholism, through whatever else. You fill in the gaps through being my own authority, being my own king. I realize that I've tried to save myself. I'm going to... I realize that I've made a, actually not a great job of that. Because if you look at your life and you try to rule and reign it and, and be your own king, how, how, well, how well is that going for you? So change your mind and repentance is that Jesus, you're king. Jesus, you, you're the one who reigns over all things. Jesus, I'm sorry that I sought to do things my own way. I, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've neglected you. I'm sorry that I've rebelled against you, Jesus. I look at your life and you're perfect and you're kind and you're gracious and you're forgiving, you're challenging, but you invite me to life. Jesus, I want that instead. So rather than doing your own thing, you turn to God and you begin to walk with him. And it can only come through repentance. You can't do it any other way. It can't be any other way other than repenting and turning away from doing things your own way. And then there's this repentance and belief. It means to put some stuff into action. It's not just a, a theological assent of an idea that to be true. Like, oh, I believe in Jesus. Great, even the demons believe in Jesus. The thing that marks out our belief as being different is that actually we're willing to do something about it. We're actually willing to put it into practice. We're going to go, I believe that Jesus is king and he has a kingdom and he died for my sin and he rose again on the third day and I'm turned from my own way and I'm going to follow Jesus. And so therefore the, the action is really important, which is then the third thing, which is to follow and it's often missed in our preaching of the gospel. We preach Jesus died for our sin and rose again on the third day. Believe in Jesus and you'll get to heaven. Has anybody heard that gospel preached? It's not that it's wrong, it's just it's not full. It's not that Jesus won't, doesn't save us for an eternity with him in the new heaven and the earth. He does. He does. That's, that's part of the gospel. But actually the call to follow is an imperative associated with Jesus as king. So if he's really king, then we're going to follow in his ways. Which then is the evidence of our belief and the fruit of our repentance. So you can't have repentance without belief and without following. It all flow in to one another. And that's what makes a disciple. is somebody who's put their trust in Jesus and willing to do something about it. Seven things of the gospel. Kingdom, king, died for our sin, rose again on the third day. Repent, believe, follow.
seven things that you need to understand. Now, in your relationships, there's going to be different points where you're going to need to journey with people on their story and their understanding. So don't just go like to your best mate now and splurge the, these seven. I've been taught these seven principles of the gospel. <laughs> Repent, believe, follow. Oh, that will not go too well. But actually, understand where people are on the journey and on the story. Do they understand that actually God made the world good? Because if we understand that in the beginning he was a, he's, he's a good creator, it can change everything for people's perception as you journey with folks through life. So the declaration statements, the imperatives, and the implications. The implications for the gospel are far bigger than you think. Far bigger than you think. Far bigger than the songs that we sing, the words that we uh, hear pre. It's, the implications for the gospel are so far-reaching. They, they determine how you deal with your money, how you think about your relationships, how you think about work, how you treat your colleagues. And most importantly, and most radically, how you love your enemies. Because anybody can love their friends. But Jesus says that a mark of a disciple is actually you'll love your enemies. So if we want to be a follower of Jesus and we want to live out the implications of the gospel, it means we cannot afford to not love our enemies. Those who have hurted us, hurt us those who have afflicted us, those who have caused great pain to us. I'm not saying that that's easy. I'm not saying that's a, an easy journey to go on. What I am saying is that because Jesus trod that path, we have no get out clause. His enemies persecuted him, made life difficult for him, put him on the cross. If he went that pathway, and I don't think you or I have any latitude to hold on to the stuff that we so easily hold on to that actually only ends up poisoning our hearts, not the other people. The reality of it is, for most people who've hurt us, they're oblivious. Some people are oblivious and God will deal with them. God will judge their hearts. Some of them need to be dealt with by, by proper due process and face the consequences of their actions. Absolutely. But as much as it depends and on you, live a life in authority to King Jesus, allowing his truth and his grace to shape you in such a way that changes your life beyond recognition. Because it will. The implications of the gospel are far bigger than you think. Can you just ask for a moment? I don't normally do this, but I want to give a moment to people to respond. Um, this is, by the way, this is the beginning of the journey. Um, and then we'll take communion. Um, but if you've, um, if you've lived your life, you're doing your own thing. You might have been in church for decades, never really understood or grappled with the fact that Jesus is king and has all authority over your life. You maybe have never turned from, you maybe have turned from the, the public stuff that everybody knew, but what about the hidden stuff of your life that has still got a grip on you? The sin that so easily entangles internally that nobody knows about 
but you, you, you're just caught in that cycle of sin because your position's not really changed. You see, when your position changes from darkness to light, the power of sin is broken. I firmly believe it. I believe that the power of sin is broken. Doesn't mean to say life won't be messy. Doesn't mean to say there won't be journey, all of that. But I believe the power of it is broken. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. This morning I want to give you an opportunity to do so. So if you're, just a moment, just, I won't drag this out. Just, if you can close your eyes at, at this moment. In fact, do you know what? I'm, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. Because I think there's something about a public declaration that's really important. So I know this might be awkward. But if you would just indicate to me that there's something this morning that has grabbed your, your heart and your attention that you need some work, do, do some work with, with Jesus on, could you just raise your hand? Okay. Great. And if you'd like to... Uh, if, yeah, okay, great. Thank you. Now, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, I'd love to have a conversation with you afterwards. I'd love to tell you about him and how magnificent he is and how he can set you free. So Jesus, I thank you for those that have raised their hands this morning who uh, you've, you've grabbed a hold of something that has been said, that has stirred. I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, by your spirit, um, solidify and guarantee and seal the activity of your spirit today to bring transformation, renewal, and change in Jesus' name. Amen.